Hello and welcome into the Take 10 Podcast. This is Alex Rue of Big Ten Network. And this week's guests are Rafael Davis, former Purdue basketball player, and Big Ten Network manager of research, Harold Shelton. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here. Look at here. With the catch, the finish. Oh, my goodness. What a catch. Oh, Energy. Enthusiasm. All right, before we get to Raphael and Harold, first a word from our sponsor, the Northwestern University School of Professional Studies. If you've ever thought about a career in sports, check out the master's program in sports administration at Northwestern University. You can build your skill set and your network in evening or online classes. Find out more at sps.northwestern.edu sports. As I always say, it's a great opportunity for anyone who wants to work in sports, work at a place like Big Ten Network to get involved with. Check out that, that program. I always appreciate their support um, over, over the years now. So once again, shout out to NUSBS. And we will get to Rafael Davis right now, former Purdue basketball player, and uh, talking defense, talking boilers, talking a lot of basketball. Let's get into it right now. I'm very pleased to be joined by former Purdue basketball player, former Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year. It's Rayfield Davis. Ray, how's it going, man? Going well, man. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, appreciate you jumping on. Thanks for thanks for joining. And off the top, you know, when I get these former players on, especially ones that are you know around my age and um, were in the league four or five years ago, if you could update the fans, just kind of. What you've been up to, um, you know, what your interests have been since since graduating. We last saw you on the court. Um, I think we're the same age, so you know, graduated twenty sixteen um, and transitioned from basketball into into the working world. How's how have things been going for you? So yeah, so for me, after graduation, I played went on a little China tour, played in China for a little bit. Ended up rupturing my disc in my back. Uh, so obviously, basketball was done at that point. So I transitioned into like you said, the real world. I started working for Eli Lilly out of I moved to Atlanta as pharmaceutical rep for Eli Lilly. I did that for four years. But um, this past year, I kind of regained my passion and just my love for the game. But also, just being honest, a lot of my friends I grew up with just aren't here anymore for reasons that, I mean, I mean, just reasons that then they couldn't, I mean, some situations they couldn't control, some situations they couldn't control, but a lot of those guys were better than me athletically. So a big passion came behind how can I, uh, I do something different in my community. So, I mean, in October, I kind of left my job with Eli Lilly, and I've been doing basketball full-time training, um, hosting camps, um, starting a nonprofit foundation for my community, um, just different things that's around basketball, coaching the AAU team, being a mentor to a few college guys, um, just different things like that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and I know also you've been, uh, besides your, your on-court work, you've been – into the sports media space as well. So definitely, if you could get into that a little bit, talk about where to where to find your work because I've I've seen and heard some of it. It's been it's been real solid. You've been uh you know on our platforms as well. Oh no, I appreciate it. Yeah, so I've also started a podcast, something I've always wanted to do, and now obviously since I was no longer with Eli Lilly, I allowed up the free time. A buddy of mine, Duan Marrero, he has his own podcast, so kind of inspired me to kind of put my foot down and do my own. But then also, I mean, yeah, Boiler Up with Brayfield Davis on all streaming platforms. The Rayfield Davis podcast on YouTube, um, Twitter, Rayfield Davis 3. So, yeah, we're just building the podcast as much as possible, trying to give flowers to former players, um, players that I'm fans of. I mean, we have a Nard Pollard on the podcast who went to my high school, who's from my side of town, grew up in my community, who went to Purdue like I did, both me playing in the NFL. So his story will resonate with a lot of people that I grew up with. So it's just doing things like that and just seeing how far we can take it. It's been real cool. Yeah, saw you've been uh, calling some some games as well uh, in your hometown of Fort Wayne for Purdue Fort Wayne, and you know as you're as you're trying to venture more into that space and, and learn on the podcast game and on the um, on the play by play and, and color commentary side, who do you try and I guess learn from when you apply those skills? You know, um, I, I I think you have a you know you you have you have big shoes to fill because you got Robbie Hummel who's a who's a really phenomenal 
uh, announcer right now, and and I'm, I assume you use your connections as a former player to kind of learn and and uh, learn how to teach and and analyze the game as opposed to playing it. Yeah, so for me, play, playing for Coach Paint was he was big on not only doing something but know why you're doing it and really knowing the details of why you're doing something. So we watched a lot of film, and especially the year I was defensive player of the year. I mean, I would watch it. I would watch the guy I was guarding. I watched three, four games of him. So as far as knowing the game, just watching it, I've just been a student of it always. But obviously, I mean, Stephen Bardoff talked to him a couple of times. I've talked to Rob, talked to a couple, I've talked to Doug Golly. He's been a real big help just kind of getting things going. So, I mean, just a few people that way, but I always try to just do things my way to kind of bring just the real sense to it, try to bring the common, the common, the common fan perspective in a sense, kind of make things simple for fans at home, kind of just see what I see through the player's eyes, but also understand that we're watching it the same and you have to look at it through a film because you can see it that way too a little bit. Yeah, uh, good network you got there. Steven's my guy uh, at, at BTN, obviously, uh, former good Illinois dude. guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah, grew up listening to him. So, uh, you know, before we get to some Purdue talk, what was it like uh, playing in China? I got to ask because um, I, I read about, you know, your, I guess, venture out there before you took it. It was an old article. So I want to know just like what that was like joining that team and going out there for however long it was, a few weeks or a month or so. I mean, it was cool. I didn't like it, just to be honest. I mean, uh, I, I didn't eat for like the first two weeks just because, uh, I mean, maybe I'm just a spoiled American, but I mean, it's not like you got Panda Express over there or like the Chinese spots you used to. So, I mean, I didn't. I ate watermelon fries and broccoli a lot until um, I, we saw some steak. I don't know if it was steak, but uh, I think it was me, Lizell Smith, um, Kaylin Lucas, a couple other guys. And just kind of, you act like it's kind of like filet me young, you just chow it down. So the first couple of weeks, I kind of had like an attitude, like, you know what I mean? Then I also got hurt out there, so I couldn't play in all the games. So I didn't, for me, basketball was always a family thing. It was always a look up and see my mom in the crowd, see my brother, see my sister, see my dad. One of those things where I wasn't able to see those and see them in the crowd. I wasn't able to, <clears throat> I was a big communicator on the court. I wasn't able to talk to referees. I wasn't able to do certain things. It was just more about, at that point, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it, but at that point it's about getting a check. And that's not really what I want to be in China for. I feel like I could have got a check here, but no, nah, it was cool for what it was. I got to play basketball and to help me overseas. Got to play in China. Got to be in China. But I don't think I will move to China. <laughs> Food's real different over there, man. I, I feel you. Yeah, uh, the would... food is real important to me. Like, it's not, I'm not, I'm real simple. Like, I have to just eat. I don't have to eat real well, but I just have to be full, I guess. Yeah, I was there for like a week and a half, maybe. And by, by the end, I was I was so tired of, uh, of the food. Is right? It's just not the same. Um, yeah. Takes some getting used to. Um. All right, switching over to some Purdue topics now. Uh, you know, you came in, I remember this really well, uh, to a Purdue basketball era when the Painter era, was, I think, was most in doubt. It was kind of teetering. And that's crazy to kind of think about now. But back then, you know, I, I kind of thought this thing maybe had run its course. Um, it was kind of parallel with with another one of the those uh, Purdue staffers, Bruce Weber's era at, at Illinois, that had definitely run its course. And I kind of assumed that that maybe Painter was going to follow that same path. You guys struggled uh, in your first couple of years, and you know you guys dug in and turned that thing around. And you know the rest is history. Painter could probably be there as long as he wants now. How did how did you guys do that and and get you know get out of those those doldrums? Because it was looking rough for a while, and and now you know you've won several Big Ten titles since, and and it's it's been real sweet. So. Take me, take me inside what happened. How that, how that whole thing turned around? Uh, I say what happened because it wasn't as if paint had hit a wall or anything. I mean, it was the baby boys had just left that last class had just kind of finished out. Rob, Lou Jack, Ryan Smith, they were leaving. Now we had DJ Bird, who was a six man of the year previously, but he had never been, I guess, in that starting row. Or he'd never been that guy that's expected to go out there and get you seventeen a game. Then we had Tyrone Johnson, who was stepping into the kind of from that sophomore to junior row. In, in kind of that leadership role. I mean, that freshman year, we didn't have, I mean, we look at it because we lost in the CBI at home, <laughs> which is as it's terrible. But we beat Illinois and Minnesota that year. And both of those teams make the tournament. You know what I mean? So 
I think we finished in between those teams in the Big Ten race. Just our non-conference was terrible. I mean, Eastern Michigan, I think they stormed the court on us. Like, they, we had 38 points in the college game. It was crazy. But then that next season, we had some guys transfer, transfer in. Uh, some guys got older. Some guys got bolder, I will say. And guys just didn't listen to paint. So I always tell people that it was never a paint issue. It was never a thing because nothing changed from paint really from my sophomore to junior year. It was only the locker room. And it's not saying that, I mean, nah, I'll say it. We just got a five new freshmen. They came in and we had a lot of guys leave out and they just changed the locker room. I mean, if those five freshmen come in, they come to their first workout. I think workout was at, first workout was at probably 6.30 or 7. And all five of them get to the gym at five in the morning. So they're early to the early time. You know what I mean? So that set the tone for, at the time, our sophomores who were Bryson Scott, Kenneth Stevens, Bowser Smotherman, like, we here. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I mean, by the end of the season, those four of those freshmen were starters. So, I mean, they set the tone. They allowed me. I was a returning captain, only one. And also, we had a senior, Neil Bashir's walk-on. But I was I guess I was at voice in the locker room. AJ didn't talk much. So they all allowed me to lead. They all allowed me to kind of be the voice in the locker room. They listened very well. They just wanted to get better. They all knew we were last place in Big Ten. I always ask them, like, who commits to go to? Who signs to the last place team in the conference? I mean, just being honest, just thinking about it. But they all say the same thing. They want to come and be a change agent to the program. So, I mean, they showed it from day one. But then also, <clears throat> I mean, before that, John Oct I mean, before John Octus gets there, we had a great summer. I mean, for that first month, it, we had five returning guys on scholarship. Myself, like I said, myself, AJ, Basil, Kendall, and, and um, Bryson. And we had five new freshmen. So for that first few weeks, five freshmen versus, versus us, like, it was a sense of you want our minutes, come take them. And some of those guys took them, you know what I mean? So it was a sense of we had that type of competitiveness in the locker room and on the courts. The coaches structured the locker room in a sense. You had young guys and old guys mixture in the way. It's kind of how paint did it. So, I mean, it just allowed for great competitiveness, allowed for us to fight all summer, allowed for us to be under the radar in a sense, to just put in the work. But then also John Noctius came after the season started, I think, and we were in practice. And he kind of just changed the swag at Purdue. I know Carson obviously gets a lot of credit for just like the, the swagger and the tempo he brought to Purdue. But I would think, I would say John Noctius kind of started that with, in a sense, kind of with his, he's from Miami, came to Indiana, PJ Thompson, all those guys really gravitated towards his style. And he kind of just turned us up in a different way, swag style. But I mean, guys just listen to the locker room. We changed, it's a buzzword culture, but we completely changed our culture. We stopped wanting to be cool. We stopped caring about going to frats. We, we wanted to just win games. And that's what, and we had a really, really, I mean, I know I'm going longer and longer, my bad man. But when you think about that year, my junior year, before Christmas, we lose to, I think, Garner Webb, Notre Dame, Vandy, and North Florida. So it's like we didn't like that's before Christmas. So we had a really, really, really tough practice on Christmas break before Minnesota at home. We ended up winning that game at home, kind of got the coaches kind of off our back a little bit, showed us what we could do. They had two really good guards in the Hollands. And John Octis and I kind of did it what we should have done on defense. And then from there, we just won some games and we just built our confidence. AJ played really well. The fresh Vince Edwards was really, 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 really big for us. Vince Edwards doesn't get a lot of credit for what he did his freshman year, but he was huge for us to be able to shoulder that responsibility as a freshman. Yeah, man. John Octus, I think, brought like all of Miami with that dunk <laughs> on uh on Indiana. That's I mean, that's what I remember him. I think most, you know, fans remember yeah. that as well. That's what was like, all right, we're here. Um and and I'm he glad knew that dunk. He knew a play against he always he said to going into that game, he said uh, we always knew. The way that it was pumped, you have a good IU game, you're a legend forever. And I mean, he was looking for a play like that. He got it. <laughs> no, sure. Cool. And and uh, you mentioned, you know, specific games I'd written down here in these questions, like Notre Dame, Gardner-Webb, because I, I, I uh, saw that you called a players-only meeting. You were a captain as a sophomore. 
And, like, I'm kind of fascinated by players-only meetings, right? Just that vibe. Like, I need to know how that goes, right? Especially if you're an <laughs> underclassman, like... You, no, I caught that meeting my junior year. Okay, so junior. I was, um, that was, yeah, I was a, um, I was a junior, and um, we didn't, I think we lost, I don't know who we lost to. It could have been Gardner-Webb. Gardner-Webb was the one right before Christmas. So, regardless, uh, like, you, you send a group text, like, are you like, man, you know, these guys are about to be pissed off at me, um, or do you not even care at that point? Like, Oh, no, nah, I never cared about that. No, I right. never, uh, like, to this day, like, <laughs> I still think I still think about if Ryan Klein likes me, like because he can't. It's no way he could. He was a freshman. The way I, the, I was standing under the clock, and if you was like a second late on the time, fifteen thousand on the varsity climber, no questions. So no, nah, I never really cared if dudes was pissed off. It's one of those things where you send a text, meet in the locker room, <clears throat> guys don't really know what's going on, <clears throat> and you just not aggressive. It's not. I mean, you just talk. Everybody get a chance to talk. But then at some point, words, this can't happen again. You know what I mean? It's it's that tone, and you get your point across, and then we go to Penn State, and we have a terrible first half, and we get in the locker room, and I guess we have another players-only halftime meeting. And it's one of those talks where I don't think – I don't know if Paint spoke because – that was one of the times where I didn't really care who was mad at me. I didn't, I let it go because it felt like the season before it felt like Gardner Webb happened again, although we had beat Minnesota, whatever, but we ended up having that talk going out. Kendall Stevens hit a three to win that game, but no players only meetings. It just depends on what was going on. We would have, we would have more. I mean, we would just, sometimes we would just chill, play games. We would hang out, but now some of them, I mean, I mean, they got real intense. I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, you just never know. <laughs> Yeah, I had Klein on the show, like, over the summer, I think, so, you know. Just yeah, that's my dude. I could ask him, first question, do you like Ray, you know, Ray Fell Davis? Uh, you know, you got you to put, put the freshman, you know, in line. I, I feel you on that. He left with he left with two Big, cha- two big Ten championships and the Elite Eight. Yeah, not bad. Not bad out. at all. Um, And then, you know, kind of speaking of that, I, I, I want you to speak to, if you could, the value in, you know, sticking around – and I know this has been a topic at Purdue recently with some of the recent departures and kind of seeing a career through, right, to, to, to reap the benefits of, of that work you put in when things aren't going great. You know, right. you thought, you, you know, you became a top 25 team, played in two NCAA tournaments, Big Ten tournament championship game. Um, what is the value in, in seeing this through, you know, in a time when transfers are, are spiking? And, and I know Painter has spoken to this very publicly. Uh, how do you see it? For me, I mean, it just depends on what's best for your family situation. I mean, we uh, we come in last place my sophomore year. A lot of guys do transfer out. I wasn't that good. So, I mean, I didn't have guys just calling me, asking me if I went to transfer. So, <laughs> and then I also had a child at the time, too. So, it was definitely not a time where you could shake things up. I had a daughter. So, it was one of those times where Paint has a saying. He would say all the time, if you don't like the hole, you're going to stop digging. So, for me... I didn't like where I was at. So I found out why I wasn't playing. Coach said, you're the worst defender I ever recruited. It's that simple. I got with Gavin Roberts. Uh, was they, uh, that main master, I changed my mechanics laterally. Coach Brantley really pushed me defensively that offseason. And it, for me, it worked out. Because for me, it was, to me, my family situation, my situation, I mean, being at Purdue wasn't harming that. It was what I was doing. So I was in control of my own. So when some guys transfer, because, I mean, whether it's better for their family or it's better for them, I mean, whatever makes sense to you. But for me, sticking it out kind of, it brings more value to me when you do stick it out and you fight through hard times. Because now I'm a guy that averaged six, seven points. I mean, I mean Purdue, you would, you would think I averaged 15, 17 points, the way Purdue fans admire just the way I played hard. So it's the thing where you stick that out, you win some games, you do it for your coach, you do it for your program. That's what it was about for me. But when guys transfer, it really does. To me, it's all about the program they're in. When they transfer from Purdue, when guys I played with transfer from Purdue because I was there, it never made sense for any guy that transferred from Purdue while I was there. It never made sense, not one time. Because I don't think maybe once guys left and found a better situation, but I don't think it works out all the time. So you really went from the worst defender Painter's ever seen to defensive player of the year? Oh, yeah, like three months. It was crazy. 
But it was, um, I had four different high school coaches. So I never really, and I averaged 30 points a game, I would say. So I never really had to play defense. I never was expected to. I never learned how. I never, we would be in practice. We want shell drill. I just look at paint like I have no idea. Like one thing paint would always say about me is that if I didn't know something, I would stop and I would ask. And I knew nothing about defense. It was to the point where he couldn't play me. So now, nah, um, so even when I be one defensive player of the year, like our assistant coaches would still tell me I wasn't playing defense right. Cause I was on the ball, like, like a, like guarding like a James Blackman or Brent Ford, somebody that's run off the of screen that I could lock into, but my help side wasn't that great. I could just lock into my man, but no, it was, um, it was, uh, one of those things where that motivated me and I knew I wasn't going to get the ball as much as AJ. I knew Vince Edwards was really good. So it was one of those things where coach Brantley would ask me kind of, and it was a pride thing. And I'm a real, I grew up with a lot of value. I grew up on pride and I grew up on not letting somebody outdo you in a sense. But Coach Brantley, that main master that summer, even before the freshman got there, he would say, hey, Ray, who going to guard um, Terrell Petway? He would say that. Who going to guard Terrell Petway? You going to let a freshman guard him next year? Then he would say, hey, that freshman coming in Ohio State, Daniel Russ going to be pretty good. Who going to check him? So he would bring up Karis LeVert. He would bring up um, Sam Decker. You know what I mean? He would bring up um, <laughs> DJ Newell from Penn State. So it was a lot of good players that, we couldn't put freshmen on. So he would, uh, he would say, dang, Ray, if you get 30 on you every night, we can't play you. <laughs> it's just your coach telling you this, but I have a great relationship with Coach Brandon. We talk every day, but this is how he's motivating me. So since when we get to this point, then John Octius comes and John Octius had a big thing of, Dick Ray, these players have names. These are the big players in the league. If we do well against them, we eat off the plate. And I'm a guy, I love to eat off other people's plate and kind of make my own name. That's kind of what I did. Yeah, I've actually surprisingly only been to one game at Mackey Arena. Uh, like, I've been to Purdue a bunch of times, but um, it was when I was a student. And it was the Purdue-Illinois game 2015, which was a, a, a real hype game. <laughs> and uh, a real tale of two halves. Like, Illinois came out, yep. had Purdue shook, and then absolutely... Was Rice. destroyed. Yeah, you remember the Revante Rice, Kendrick Nunn. I think lobbed it to yep. him. Uh, but like, I see why you guys get fired up to play defense there. Like the crowd demands it. That hype oh, video yeah. coming in, whose house is like, you know, bone chilling. And I get goosebumps crowd- thinking about that game right now because that was one of my favorite games. Yeah, and then he the was crowd- talking trash. Oh, it was crazy. <laughs> it was a wild environment, and the crowd just feeds on it. So I see, I do see why you guys, you know, really are hungry. Hungry on defense, uh, especially as opposed to some other, you know, Big Ten teams and or arenas I've yeah. been to. Uh, yeah, I mean, paint tell you, if you don't play defense, you're not going to play. So it's one of those things, too, where, like, a guy like me, obviously I wanted basketball to be able to feed my daughter at the time. If I can't feed from basketball if I'm not playing. So paint to tell you, you don't play, you don't, if you don't play defense, you won't play. But then also I tell guys being recruited, who doesn't want to go to a school that will give you a standing ovation? for diving for a loose ball. Like, who doesn't want to go to a school that gives you a stand ovation that will love you for 20 years for getting some steals? So it's like, you go somewhere where you just play hard and the crowd appreciates it. You don't have to go out there and hit six, seven threes, dunk on three or four people, have such high expectations. Well, your expectation is to play hard. I mean, everything, I mean, it makes it fun to play at Mackey. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned Ravante Rice with that dunk. He's... I played. I didn't play against him. He's a couple years older, but uh, he was in my hometown in high school. The other high school, he would do some crazy stuff like that. It, it, he dropped the easiest forty-five points I've ever seen, effortless one time. It was. He <laughs> was really good. No, he was really good. I was surprised that uh, I don't know how. I think he went to Drake or something. But yeah, yeah, well, he was. He was. He could really score the ball. So he was one of those dudes where, again, you look at the sky. You look at the sky. We look at the sky report. The schedule, like you know, that's one. And it's one of those games where he got me that first half, no question. And then that second half, and we kind of flipped it on them. But no, nah, he was uh, – he because he was so big. He was so big, so physical, and he was quick, but he could handle the ball. You could tell he grew up playing at the park. So, no, nah, he was uh, he was one of the tougher ones to guard because of his shiftiness. You said you don't know how he ended up at, at Drake. He, he fell victim to the same thing that Robbie Hummel did. Uh, Bruce Weber didn't recruit him. So, you know, that's, <laughs> it's, that's another story, but it's okay. Uh, I know – you know, I know – Purdue fans like Bruce, so I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to bash him or anything. Bruce, um, Bruce beat us at uh, Maui. Bruce beat us in Maui. We were running at 2-3 zone after Kansas State beat us. Payne never ran at 2-3 zone again. Never never seen it again. It was, that's the, <laughs> also, that was a big – I forgot to say that. That was a big reason why I started playing defense. Payne, Coach Matt Painter put, implemented a 2-3 zone, which means he had no trust in his guard, guard defense. So that kind of was one of those things where, like, like, like you had, like, Lewis Jackson – Hit you up like damn Purdue don't run zone y'all weak, so it's like one of those things too. But yeah, yeah, that's unheard of. Lewis, ja- that. Lewis Jackson, another guy I saw play in high school. He he was he was insane to watch too. Especially that was the days he did it at Purdue too. That was the days when uh, the shorts were out of control and him being like <laughs> five seven. Those things were like touching the ground. Just straight up, just a hilarious sight. You mentioned diving on the floor too. My uh. My colleague, Brent Urena, who's uh, big on social media, he has, like, a pho- photographic memory for all you guys playing. Um, he remembers you diving. He says you like your thing at Big Ten tournaments, especially. It was, like, diving on the scorer's table. And you had, yeah, like, I did it twice. Yeah, what, what's, what's going on with that? You, were you, like, uh, addicted to diving into the press row or something at the Big Ten tournament? What was going on? Uh, it was um, – I mean, I was just playing hard. I remember, I think the one year I took out Greg Doyle from Indy Star, but it was a situation where, to me – I never really, like I tell my players now, like I tell my players now that I train and I work with, I don't really believe in lines. You got to just play and just go for it. And if you see a good opportunity to get your team an opportunity to get them a bucket, but then you also got to know time and moments of games. You got to know when your team needs a hustle play and we can go get them one. And if you see that, you got to go and get it. But in the Big Ten tournament, I mean, both times in those situations, we needed wins. So, I mean, you just kind of go all out for your teammates. And I was that guy that, I mean, I would do anything for to win a game. I would risk my body. I would jump over a table. But, but no, I got that picture too. It's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. And and one other thing about uh, Coach Painter, like I always tell people this, he is so sneaky, like funny. If you don't really, <laughs> if you're not a Purdue fan, you don't hear him like every day. But, you know, whenever we do stuff with him media wise, he cracks me up and he's like got the, the dry sense of humor yep. and, and he'll settle in and start cracking jokes. So like, do you have any funny like painter stories or something that, that makes you laugh when you think back? Cause I feel like Hummel's got a million of them. I could probably tell a few just from brief interactions. Like he's a funny guy. Nah, he is, but I mean, Rob won a lot. So, I mean, we won my last couple years. So my first two years, I didn't get that much from him. I mean, we last place in the big 10, not a funny dude. But no, I get what you're saying, but no, nah, I don't really got that many funny stories. I got a lot of good ones, but I don't know if we can tell them all here. It's easier to have a sense of humor when when you're winning. I I definitely no, 100. Definitely. No, he had a great he had a great sense of humor when we were losing, but it's I can't repeat that type of stuff. Like, <laughs> I got you. Um, all right, so you know, since since those first couple years where, where like I said, paint was or not, you know, not teetering, but it, it was rough for a little while. Purdue, I think, has consistently come out and at least exceeded national expectations. Like that's kind of the uh, that's kind of the the chip on their shoulder that they always have. You know, they feed off some of that doubt. Uh, this year's team is no different, right? They they lose key contributors in the offseason. Painter seems to find all the right freshmen to come in, pushes all the right buttons. You know, now they're a borderline top twenty five team, going to make the tournament. What have you liked about this team this year? Um, and how do you kind of see the next month or so playing out when when no team can take a night off against them now? I mean, I like this team. The, the most I like about this team because they're a young team is the way the young and the old guys like each other. And you can really see it. Like Eric Hunter is a really big fan of Jaden Ivey. And like Travion is a really big fan of Big Ethan. You know what I mean? So – it's one of the things where, I mean, Zach, my bad, I say even Zach. So it's like one of the things where they care about the young guys. The young guys look up to the older guys. You have guys like Brandon Newman, Mason. They're asking Eric to watch film with them when Eric was hurt and wasn't playing. So it's like they respect each other. That's first. Their locker room is good. You can see it on the court because they get in their locker room at halftime, they jail, and then they come back out and they play really well. So you can tell the locker room is good. But now it just feels like they're kind of hitting the groove. We feel like Jaden is really attacking the basket, being aggressive, kind of getting them going faster, kind of bringing that kind of Carson energy that Carson Bryant's freshman year. Uh, Travion, obviously, is really, really good. <laughs> Eric is getting his groove offensively. He's been probably the best defensive player in the league to me um, throughout the season, kind of what he's been doing and in individual guys and kind of 
uh, help side defensively. But then he's kind of getting Kenny's kind of comfortable into the offensive rhythm. Now you got Sasha back, and he kind of ended the game making shots, and that's what you want to see. You kind of want to see a guy in the game making shots. He may start the game the same way. But then Brandon Newman obviously can get you 30 whenever – when I mean, a drop of a hat, he can just go out there and get you 30. Then Mason's just one of those guys that knows how to play. And then Aaron Wheeler, that dunk and that shot he had in the last game, hopefully that can keep him going because he's got – it's going to be really important going into – going into the end of February, March. We can get Aaron going. I mean, Purdue's definitely a tough out. So I like how they're playing. I like what they're doing defensively. They're going to three-point line a little bit better now to me, even though the numbers always show they did. But against better shooting teams, they're guarding it better. They're rebounding well. Uh, as long as they can just keep playing hard, I think they're hitting the right move at the right time. Yeah, and, you know, Ivy's just, like, growing before our eyes. Those, those dunks here against Nebraska were, were absurd. Um, all right, last question for you, Ray. Uh, you know, you talked about – Getting into sports media, I, I noticed, you know, you're active on social media since I started following you. How do you kind of, like, stay in the conversation? Like, I saw yesterday on the anniversary of the, the Bob Knight uh, chair toss at Indiana-Purdue, um, you just tweeted, like, some. I think it was something funny, like, you know, who, I just need to know who went and got that chair and just had to, like, <laughs> like put it back. So, um, I, you know, that's something I like to do is, like, mix humor with, you know, what's kind of going on seriously in the sports world. Yeah. Uh, how do you kind of stay active and engage in that conversation? For me, it's just, that's just the honest thought I had. And I really, like, even from the start of me having a Twitter, I didn't really have, Peyton didn't let us have Twitter. I didn't have a Twitter. So I started Twitter just because my fiance wasn't listening to me and I had thoughts to say. So it's like, I just had these random thoughts and that's just kind of the common perspective. Like, who went and picked up that chair in front of 20,000 people and put it back? Like, the gym had to be quiet. You know what I mean? Like, it was awkward. So it was one of those things where I see something, I got to comment my honest opinion. And sometimes it helps you, sometimes it hurts you, but I'm very honest about what I see. And it helps that Purdue fans kind of know that. They know me from my Purdue days. They know I keep it, I shoot straight from the hip. But I just, I like to have fun with it. I don't like to be too serious about it. Uh, Cause I think college basketball, I think um, those kids, those kids being that I played, I don't think fans understand the pressure of it is out there. And you a 21 year old and the national coach of the year just threw a chair at you. I don't know how Steve Reed was, but I mean, what was going on? It's his head at that moment, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't think people take into concept what these athletes are actual, these athletes are still kids. I mean, I know they graduated 22, but it's, I, I would have been wondering that if I was on the bench, like who's going to go get that? So, yeah. Yeah, good perspective to keep for sure. It is easy to forget sometimes. These are these are just uh, teenagers and people trying to figure things out. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, appreciate that perspective from you. Um, excited to see, you know, where you take this career, man. Like, I uh, would not be surprised at all that, you know, down the road to uh, see you in some games here. So hopefully uh, hopefully that ends up working out. We'll, we'll continue to follow your sports media career. Check out Ray's podcast, obviously. And, um, you know, we'll see you around in the, in the sports media space, man. Oh, no, I appreciate it. I definitely look forward to hopefully um, calling games, getting on the national stage, something I really want to do. But, yeah, boiler up with Rayfield Davis. Make sure you subscribe to my YouTube, the Rayfield Davis podcast. I appreciate it. Thanks, Alex. All right, everyone check it out. We'll talk soon, Ray. All right, thanks as always to uh, our guest. Thanks to Ray for jumping on. Really appreciate it him peeling back the curtain a little bit on Purdue basketball. Um, we've had plenty of their, their former players and, uh, and, uh, personalities on now. And, and, you know, it's fun to always talk to them because the, the culture is so instilled. You always learn something new every time, but, uh, every conversation has, has similar themes. So and whether it's Ryan Klein or Rayfeld Davis or whoever, whoever we have on Dakota Mathias, we've had on a couple of times over the years. Um, you know, painters done a great job with them. Just, just molding them into the players and, and people they become and, and um, always love learning more about Purdue and look look right now where they are. Uh, you know, people counted them out this year and, and they're, they're right there, maybe contending for a top four seed in the Big Ten tournament, top four finish in a extremely competitive Big Ten. So Purdue basketball keeps on rolling, keeps on uh, chugging, however you want to do the, the train pun. But I uh, appreciate Ray for jumping on. All right, we will get to Big Ten Network manager of research Harold Shelton next if you're unfamiliar with the show Harold jumps on pretty much every episode during football and basketball season to talk about what's going on um, 
in football and basketball. Obviously, right now, talking exclusively hoops. And we get into plenty about the Big Ten uh, top four to six teams, especially talk about um, Michigan, Ohio State, Illinois. Uh, talk about Iowa versus Luka debate. Um, whatever that debate is, there's still left to discuss. And uh, talked quite a bit about Michigan State's upset over Illinois as well since Harold went to Michigan State. And as I bring up roughly 12 times per episode, I went to Illinois. So um, definitely get a little deeper into that matchup. And, and uh, I take Harold's gloating, um, you know, as I as I deserve the morning after a, a loss from alma mater. So fun discussion coming up. We'll toss it over now to H and get right into it. All right, very pleased to be joined, as usual, by Harold Shelton, Big Ten Network Manager of Research. Harold, it's been a couple weeks. All of a sudden, we look up. We got uh, less than two weeks left in the Big Ten regular season. How are you hanging in? Uh, You know, it's kind of similar to football where you kind of get through the dog days, and then all of a sudden, you look up, and there's two weeks left, and you kind of get re-energized a little bit because you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, this is when it gets its most fun, like the storylines start to come to a head and the races start happening. And so, you know, we're looking forward to, to teams trying to battle their way in and teams trying to solidify top seeds, double buys, all that kind of stuff's all in play now. Yeah, there's been a lot packed into these last four months. I think it was four months ago today that Big Ten football started. It seems like an eternity and like last week all kind of at the same time. So. Um, you're right about looking up and kind of seeing the light here and, and I'm, I'm, it's my favorite time of year. I'm so excited for March Madness, especially being deprived of it last year. So, uh, I'm in a good mood today. Uh, sun's shining. Can't really complain. Yeah. I mean, we kind of got a little, we had a deep freeze for most of February and now we're thawing out quite a bit. You know, it's, uh, never thought I'd be so happy to see puddles on the ground, but considering it was pretty much ice for most of the month, I'll take this in a heartbeat, 45 degrees. I'll live with it. For sure. It's like, yeah, it feels like summer out. People are, are walking They're you know, they're wearing shorts. It's, it's real nice out here in the Midwest. Um, H before we, you know, get to the uncomfortable conversation of, of me, um, taking my medicine as an Illinois alum for Tuesday night's game. Um, let's, let's start with this new trend I'm trying to develop here on the podcast where we start the conversation talking about the opening guests. So we had Rafael Davis on, uh, I remember him, as a as a you know lockdown defender on Purdue, um, a guy who kind of rode the rode the second upswing of that Matt Painter era that really hasn't uh, you know ever reached those depths that, that he had in his freshman and sophomore year uh, when when Ray was there they were they missed the tournament two years in a row and it was kind of uh, you know the first question mark for for that Purdue era under Matt Painter. And, and now, you know, they've really got things straightened out. So what do you remember about his career, that era of Purdue basketball and um, just overall, you know, Davis as a player? You know, when I think of Purdue, especially, uh, you know, those years, they haven't done it as much recently, but those years I always thought about guys who were in your face on the ball defenders. Um, and he certainly fit that mold. Um, he was a guy, you know, basically would just try to erase one wing you put him on your best offensive player and more often than not, he was going to win that matchup, Uh, but he could shoot it too. You know, I I vividly remember a game uh, against Michigan state in 2016 uh, in West Lafayette and, you know, Michigan state was riding high um, and Purdue came out, punched him right in the mouth, went up 20. He went crazy. I want to say he hit six threes or so. Um, and then Michigan State wound up battling back, forcing OT, and it was kind of him and Denzel Valentine going back and forth, and Purdue winds up winning the game. And then they face off again in the Big Ten Championship game final in uh, 2016, and Michigan State winds up beating them. But, uh, you know, he, Raphael Davis, kind of solidified what I think about Purdue, just tough, in-your-face, hard-nosed, like won't back down from a challenge. And, you know, credit to Matt Painter and him and, and those guys from that class to kind of – bounce the program back up to what we're used to seeing. Yeah, he, he talked about that and how it's such a pride thing for him personally, but also like that program, like this dude's not going to beat me. I'm not going to let this freshman like D'Angelo Russell come in and punk me. Um, it, yeah, it really is a mindset. And, and it, it seems like, you know, sometimes when I hear the PR machine turning for Purdue, it seems like every year they have a uh, defensive player of the year candidate because like they get that narrative going, but it's not, it's not, 
just like PR. It's it's real. Like they just they they churn out these guys. They they mold defenders, um, and they mold Big Ten defensive player of the years and all defensive players. And and uh, there's a reason why every year, you know, Dan Dockich is he always is the one to call it out is saying this person's the defensive player of the year in the Big Ten. Yeah, no doubt. And then, you know, I couldn't have said it better. And I'm sure Raphael Davis couldn't have said it better. Uh, you know, he's a guy that, you know, he took it personal. He took on the challenge. He loved being that guy to say, okay, whether it's D'Angelo Russell, whether it's Denzel, whether it was whatever wing or guard, you know, that was the best on the opposing team. He took it upon himself uh, to try to just eliminate him from the game. And, you know, you got to love guys like that because that shows how selfless they are. And, you know, if they happen to score too, so be it, but they're more than fine just winning that one-on-one matchup because it allows the team to do what they need to do to win. For sure. And, uh, all right, I put it off, put it off long enough now. Um, we can talk about the Michigan State-Illinois game Tuesday night. Uh, Spartans smacked Illinois. Speaking of getting punched in the mouth and getting up by uh, almost 20, that's exactly what happened. Um, you know, it was a 5-0 lead for – for Illinois and then Michigan State decided that uh, you know they kind of like they did against Indiana, except in a, in a much more compressed time frame. That uh, you know they want to get to the tournament, and some of these upperclassmen like Aaron Henry and Josh Langford, uh, you know, aren't playing around anymore. They're 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 hooping now. Uh, Henry's been brilliant. Langford pops off for a career sixteen boards and get like fifteen points to go on top of that. So uh, what did you see besides, you know, what I saw, which is like really good scout game plan, uh, make Illinois uncomfortable, be physical with Kofi, um, you know, get Io out of his rhythm as far as uh, making shoot jump shots and, and make him go left. What did you see in that one? And, and were you surprised, um, you know, beyond obviously the final score at how effective that strategy was? I was surprised at the margin. I never thought I'd see them up, you know, mostly double digits the entire second half. There's no way I saw that coming. Um, I think they found something against Indiana. Um, I think Izzo for the longest time, and I know he alluded to it early in the year of how he didn't want to, uh, you know, kind of be at a detriment if COVID hit and one of their players was out. And so he was cycling through the lineup and he was always playing 12 guys but I feel like no one was able to get in a rhythm when that happened. And so, you know, guys would make a mistake, get pulled, put in the next guy, he'd make a mistake, get pulled. And so for the longest time, like guys just never got in the rhythm. And it seemed like Aaron Henry was the only guy who would consistently play a ton of minutes. Against Indiana, he pretty much just went small. He said, Malik Hall, goodbye. Hauser, you're limited. We're going to play Rocket Watts, Langford. Uh, Gabe Brown at the three, Aaron Henry at the four, and then just kind of rotate the center position. And that seemed to work. And he let all those guys play 30-ish minutes. And I think Henry played 40 against Indiana. Uh, against Illinois, it was the same thing. Those the, you know, Henry played 39. The other three guards all played over 30. And they pretty much just rot- rotated the center position. And I feel like they've kind of found something with this. And it's allowed them to be tougher. It's allowed them to... Uh, eliminate mistakes on defense because they just have their best guys in their most athletic guys in they're just going to sink or swim with that and you know now they don't have to worry about you know a point guard taking foster lawyer off the dribble or someone just being stronger than joey hauser and they seem to just kind of have found a rhythm found a lineup that works for them and we'll see if that's enough to take them uh back in the tournament where they're used to being yeah, for those who are listening who are unfamiliar, Harold is a proud Michigan State alum. So, you know, always want to talk Spartans, especially when they they uh, do something impressive like they did against the Illini. And do you think Michigan State now, uh, you know, with the rest of the, the schedule, how it is, it's very tough and uh, tournament hopes on the line. What do you think their chances are of, of, of getting an at-large bid? Uh, they've got life now. Um, I think they still have a lot of work to do. Um, you know, we talked about the schedule. You get Michigan twice. You got Ohio State coming up this week. Uh, you're at Maryland. You're home against Indiana. I think if you win three of those and don't lose the first game of the Big Ten tournament, I actually think they're in. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about three matchups against top five teams, and we're talking about, you know, a game against Maryland who's been surging. Uh, so it's not going to be easy, you know, at all. Uh, but I think 
you know, the fact that they're playing so well right now, they kind of have that, you know, we don't want to let this tournament streak die. We don't want Joshua Langford to go out like this. Like he didn't miss two years to come out and miss the tournament. So I think like the 16 boards you saw from him against Illinois, you know, to improve play from him, you know, as Bardo, Stephen Bardo would say, you know, guys get senioritis. And I think that's certainly the case with Langford as a guy who is seeing his Michigan State time, you know, come pretty close to the end. And I think he's just leaving it all out there and becoming more of a leader. And we saw that against Illinois. We saw it in the second half against Indiana. And we'll see if it continues. Did any of the Illinois tendencies trouble you at all? Um, on one hand, you know, they've won seven in a row. So every team's due for a letdown unless unless you're Baylor or Gonzaga, apparently. And even Baylor almost took the uh, – you know, the, the upset crown away on Tuesday night by struggling with Iowa State after that long COVID pause. But, um, you know, on one hand, I look at it and it's like, yeah, Illinois is due for a loss. Um, on the other hand, it's like during that seven-game win streak, they really played with fire. They almost lost to Nebraska, could have lost to Northwestern, um, tend to play down to their competition or up to their competition, um, clearly have the, the, the ability to blow teams out by 20 and 30. Um but also, you know, go quiet and completely get taken out of games sometimes. And I just don't know what side I fall on as far as, yeah, this team will be fine in March because I could also see something like last night happening where they never get in a rhythm and, you know, Coburn can't hit free throws. Io is not efficient. And, you know, Frazier's, I, I think Frazier makes me feel better because he's been really consistent scoring the ball lately and has been a great third option. But, those wing positions at, at Illinois, they're undersized and they get bothered by longer athletic guards and, and, and swing players like Aaron Henry. So, you know, obviously any big 10 team could get, get popped in the first or second round. Uh, I don't know how you feel though, as far as, as far as if that, if last night kind of exposed some concerns for a potential two, three seed, you know, outside shot at a one in Illinois. Um, I was actually talking to a couple of my buddies about this uh, like a week ago. And I think Illinois has the highest ceiling of any team in the big 10, but I think, they are less safe to get to the second weekend than a Michigan or, or an Ohio State or even an Iowa. Because to your point, I think they do play to the level of competition. You know, we've seen them struggle against Northwestern a couple of different times and had to pull games out of the fire, whether it was a you know rally from a big you know first half deficit or you know having to hold off you know the Wildcats because Io you know does what Io does, and we, we've seen it against Nebraska, and you know Io had to put the Superman cape on to get them out of that. But we've seen them at their peak and, you know, we've seen them destroy Minnesota and, you know, that team, like that's the one where, you know, Kofi's a monster. They got guys making threes, you know, IO can be more of a distributor and get everybody involved and he doesn't have to put the Superman cape on. I think that's when they're at their best is when they don't need IO to be like that. Um, I just think that, you know, if they're a two or a three seed, they get a frisky seven, six seed in the second round. If they wind up playing down to them, I wouldn't be shocked if they lost. But I think if they get to the second weekend and they start facing teams that are more talented than them, I think mentally they'll be able to turn that on and be ready to go. But um, they, they kind of played into what we've seen. Like they'll play down to the level. And, you know, they might have saw, even though it's Michigan State, it's not the Michigan State we're used to seeing. So it might have been, hey, you know, we're riding high. You know, they're in 11th place. You know, we'll just come in here and get a win. And, you know, before you know it, they got punched in the mouth and down double digits and got frustrated. Yeah, I almost think it's inevitable at this point they're going to struggle with with a 14-15 seed uh, and then potentially, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7. And then – if they make it that far blow like a Virginia tech or a Tennessee out in, in the sweet 16 or something. So like I, that, that just seems like it's the kind of team that they are, like you said, uh, volatile, but also very high ceiling. So, uh, we'll have to see again, like teams lose after seven game winning streets, uh, not too concerned, but definitely, uh, frustrating for, for a team that, uh, wanted to win the big 10 title, you know, had a, had a chance and still technically has a chance, but after Tuesday night's result, uh, Michigan now is firmly in the driver's seat. If they, you know, if they weren't before, they put on a clinic against Ohio State. That was such an awesome game. Uh, I was by myself on my couch watching, like emoting, like letting out, you know, yelps when they would make difficult shot for difficult shot, back and forth. 
Uh, I almost forgot there weren't fans there. Like it was, it was just an awesome college basketball game between Michigan and Ohio State, and and those two teams have, I think, what maybe outside of Iowa, no one else in the Big Ten has, just like endless shot makers. Like those those teams can create, execute, and hit shots one through five essentially. Um, so one, you know, any any reflections on that game? Just because it probably was the game of the year in the Big Ten. And uh, what does it mean going forward for both teams outside of, you know, Michigan looking like they they just need to handle business and have that Big Ten crown locked up? You know, like you said, I mean, <clears throat> it seemed like a heavyweight fight. You know, Ohio State, you know, hit them with a, with a big punch early. Michigan would rally back. They would just kind of jab each other for a while. Here comes a haymaker. Here comes a response. I mean, it, it was great. You know, I mean, up until the last minute, the game was pretty much played within 11 uh, point window with Ohio State never leading by more than uh, six and Michigan never leading by more than five. Uh, but I think Michigan's depth and size uh, was just too much for Ohio State. And I think Ohio State could face an issue potentially if they face a team with a big who's got some real size. I mean, as much as EJ Liddell and Kyle Young are ballers and are tough, you know, Six seven and six eight. It's hard to match up with six ten seven feet, and so you know I think on the glass late in the game, Hunter Dickinson just the continuous body blows he was giving him throughout the game, uh, just kind of allowed for you know that Michigan size to kind of take over late. A lot of offensive rebounds from Wagner and Shawnee Brown and Livers, guys like that. Um, I think Michigan is they seem almost matchup proof at this point. Um, I'd be really, really shocked if we didn't see them um, at least in the Elite Eight at this point. Uh, Ohio State, you know, I think offensively they're great. We've talked about, you know, top five team offensively, uh, efficiency-wise, and you know, probably one of the best offensive teams they've had in the last 10 years. But defensively, they still leave a little bit to be desired, <clears throat> and I think that was the issue against Michigan late. Yeah, and I think with the, the pause that Michigan had to undergo, we kind of – didn't forget, but like needed to be reminded just how, how great they've been um, and how impressive it's been for them to have this season essentially in what was supposed to be not a rebuilding year, but, you know, maybe a step back, um, with, especially with, with the recruiting classes that Howard's expected to bring in. This wasn't supposed to be the year, but it's looking like it, it definitely it definitely could be. Um, and I don't know. It, it's been just interesting to be reminded just how good they are and, and – I think Sunday was the first time that since they beat Wisconsin um, over a month ago that we were kind of just appreciate what Michigan's done. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, despite the fact that it got all these, you know, great recruits coming in, they're an experienced team. And I think this year we've seen the experienced teams rise to the top. You know, I mean, it completely hit in the transfer portal with Mike Smith and Shawnee Bryant. You got two seniors there. Livers has been through the wars. Eli Brooks has been through the wars. You know, Wagner's been through the wars. And so there's something to be said for guys who have experience and have, you know, been in those big time battles. And, you know, the fact that Livers flirted with going to the NBA, decided to come back, and then they hit on those two guys in Smith and Brown, you know, it makes them just so much more well-rounded. And then you add, you know, the freshman talent of Dickinson in there and, you get a complete package and and that's what the Wolverines have. I mean, there's a reason why they're top five, you know, offensive and defensive efficiency in the country. And those guys love playing for Juwan. Um, it's completely evident in how they play. They play really, really hard. It, it, it's almost like looking at, you know, a, a past Izzo team, like the way that, you know, how hard they play, how tough they play, how smart they play and the shot making from everywhere. Yeah. They're relentless. So I know you talked about their, you know, their floor likely, Maybe being a, a elite eight berth, um, seems like there's there's at least four teams in the Big Ten that could you know have a, a good case for an elite eight. Um, Iowa it would be my other pick, um, but those have kind of been the favorites for the top four seeds. Uh, four teams we talked about, or three teams we talked about plus Iowa, but the double buy and the number four seed is still in play for um, you know five or six teams. So Purdue sneaking up here. They've done a magnificent job. Like, again, I, I remember maybe a month, month and a half ago, I was like, uh, can we sleep on Purdue finally? Or, you know, they were struggling, and and you said, no, don't do it. And every year, like, I never learned my lesson. Not that I, did, like, doubted them, but I did not expect them, I don't think, to, to be this good this early with, with these freshmen. 
Um, and then Wisconsin's still lurking out there as well. So uh, what are the scenarios? Do you think the, the top four remains as it is with Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, and Iowa? Or um, can Wisconsin get right a little bit and can Purdue sneak in and, and grab double bye? Uh, and, and again, what was supposed to be a reset year or maybe a, a, a step back for them, and, and they've done what Painter does and, and uh, just rolled right along. Um, I actually think Purdue, um, of the teams that aren't in the double by conversation, like not currently in the top four, I think they have the best chance uh, to finish their uh, closing stretch of, of Penn State on the road and then Wisconsin and Indiana at home. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if they won all three of those. I think Iowa and Wisconsin certainly have tougher schedules. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if Iowa, you know, possibly fell to five. Um, and if that does happen, how does that affect the player of the year race with Garza and Io? Um, I think that's still to be determined, even though I think Garza kind of extended his lead over the last, you know, seven days or so. Uh, Iowa, I mean, just the schedule they have, you know, they're at Michigan, they're at Ohio State, they got Wisconsin at home. Um, they have Nebraska in there as well. So, I mean, they should win that one. But if they're two and two, you know, I could certainly see them falling behind Purdue. Um, and I know Wisconsin, you know, they still have a tough stretch, uh, you know, facing Purdue and Iowa on the road their last two games. And they still get the game with Illinois uh, coming up over the weekend. So, you know, I think Purdue probably sits in the best uh, best case here um, in terms of uh, finishing in the top four. Uh, I think Illinois and Ohio State, are probably the other two teams that get there. But I see Purdue jumping Iowa uh, in terms of locking up a spot for Friday. All right. I know at one point in the season, especially when like nine Big Ten teams were ranked or whatever it was, you know, we were talking about 10, 11 Big Ten teams in the tournament. That's looking a little uh, optimistic at this point, I think. Um, you know, Maryland, credit to them. They've done a great job. Uh, they're just so tough. Like, they, they kind of go one through five with – with all these gritty type of guys who between six, three and six, seven, I've enjoyed watching them play cause they play hard. Uh, Rutgers is kind of hard to figure out, but I think they should be safe. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. And then uh, we talked about Michigan state and uh, Indiana's right on the brink as well. And uh, so is Minnesota. So how do you see this playing out? How many teams do you think uh, will, will ultimately make the NCAA tournament? And I know, you know, what happens in Indy could, could determine that in the big 10 tournament. Um, but where, where do we kind of stand with that other tier of teams that are that are hovering right now? Uh, so, I mean, we're sort of six locks now, right? With Michigan, Illinois, Ohio State, Iowa, Purdue, Wisconsin. Um, I think Maryland and Rutgers, I wouldn't call them locks, but I think if it ended today, they're safely in. Uh, Indiana, Minnesota, Michigan State, I think are kind of fighting um, at this point. The good news is that you can't really have a bad loss in this league. And so, you know, the fact that, and they also have opportunities to uh, get quality wins as well, just because pretty much every team you play is going to be a quad one or quad two game. Uh, I think Minnesota's got some issues. Um, you know, Liam Robbins has been hurt and you can see how that's affected them. Gabe Kosher broke his hand. You know, he's been one of the best defenders in the league. Uh, so it's just a lot of weight on Marcus Carr right now. And, you know, they've kind of gone in this free fall and they can't win away from the barn. And so that's that's been a huge issue. Uh, the good news for them is that their closing stretch um, is compared to everybody else is relatively soft. Uh, you get Northwestern, Nebraska, Penn State and Rutgers. So you don't have a ranked team the rest of the way. They you know, they played an extremely front loaded schedule. So I think if they win three of those, they're probably back on the right side of the bubble. Um, I think. Indiana, it's it's a weird situation. I think a win over Michigan State uh, on Saturday would have felt, you know, a lot better. But now you still you're at Rutgers Wednesday, you got both Michigan schools and you got Purdue. I think if you win two of those, you're probably feeling OK. If you only win one, you got major work to do uh, at Lucas Oil. And we kind of went over Michigan State already. I think they need to win three or four. So all that said, I'm going to go with nine teams in, um, which would be a record for the Big Ten. And, uh, you know, outside shot at 10, but I'm going to go with nine right now. All right, sounds good. And you touched on it briefly. Um, I think we, we do have to discuss the Io versus Luka Garza Player of the Year um, discussion. It's, it's really hot in the streets on social media right now, like, Instagram comments, we got teenagers arguing back and forth over each other. And Twitter, we got 
millennials arguing, you know, in the, in the replies. So what do we think? Also, I've loved this year kind of how, and uh, this is just like kind of a personal observation, but um, how it started with Iowa and Illinois fans chirping before the season started. Then Michigan fans got annoyed with Illinois fans because Illinois kind of got bored with Iowa fans, I think, and, and turned their attention to, to Michigan, especially after the the scheduling, uh, you know, discussion happened with Michigan um, postponing, deciding to postpone that game after the um, COVID pause. So there's been, you know, all kinds of chirping back and forth. And there's now like a, a three-way just, just uh, you know, Twitter slinging fest going on with, with Illinois, Michigan, and Iowa uh, Illinois kind of fans have kind of become the heel, which has been amusing to observe from, from afar after they've, I just think they're kind of enjoying being relevant again and maybe taking it a little too far, but, um, it, it's, it's amusing. And I think once the, uh, once the, the NCAA tournament gets here, as it always does, the, the fans will all kind of lock arms, unite and, and, uh, cheer for each other for the greater good. But that's just an aside, but it's really spilled over into this IO versus, uh, Luca debate. So where do you fall on it? And uh, I agree. I think, I think, you know, this week is kind of, or at least Tuesday night, definitely reestablished a bit of a gulf between Luca leading and IO falling back um, to maybe that Jared Butler pack with, with uh, his struggles against Michigan state. Yeah. I, I thought IO had a lot of momentum after the Nebraska game, um, you know, basically saving them from what would have been a bad loss. And that was around the same time that Iowa was struggling. They were, you know, they had just lost to Indiana for the second time. And that was on the heels of losing against Ohio State. And I think the the argument was if if Illinois could, you know, contend for the Big Ten title and Iowa was kind of, you know, sixth, seventh in the Big Ten, could you really give national player of the year or even Big Ten player of the year to a guy whose team wasn't that great in their own league? But now I was one four in a row. You know, he's played really well. You know, he had the, the monster game against Wisconsin, um, you know, broke the scoring record uh, against Penn State. And so, you know, he's up to his usual. And, you know, Io kind of falling back and Illinois falling back. You know, Iowa now has a better record than Illinois and Garza, you know, in all the counting stats that everybody loves, he's pretty much ahead in all of them except assists. So I think... You know, Io had closed it for a bit, but I think it's opened back up. And I think if he winds up, if if Iowa can wind up beating Michigan or Ohio State, and he has a monster game there, I think he can lock it up. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I think, um, like I said, it, it's really hard to have a off night when all eyes are on you, and then still come back and make that case, um, like Io had against against Michigan State. He didn't play well, like we all know that. Um, you know, if he goes on a tear very end of the season here, maybe maybe the discussion heats back up again. But we'll have to see. It's been fun. It's been fun to follow. I feel like, you know, when somebody's in the lead like Luca has been for for uh the whole season and, and you know, had such a great junior season, that naturally there's going to be whispers of of another contender, um, whether it comes from within the Big Ten or, or beyond for a national player of the year. Just that's just how, you know, that's it's how the it's how elections go, right? Like there's a front runner and then uh, the media will go, well, you know, what about this candidate? So um, it's been fun to follow. It's been good for the league, especially, I think. It's been awesome um, to just generate, you know, social media conversations. So uh, but, uh, blessed to have two great players for sure in the, in the league. And, um, you know, it's been fun to follow. Uh, a great year of Big Ten basketball this year. I'm sure I'll talk to you soon. Uh, don't know how soon just yet, but we'll, we'll talk again for sure before the season's over. Definitely uh, talk some some March Madness. Uh, but it's been fun, you know, condensing what usually for us is, let's see, August to April, you know, about mm, seven to eight months of, of content into, into four or five here. And, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a, it's been a, a lot, but it's been, you know, much better than the alternative, which was for a while, no sports. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the fact that, and these games, you know, that were getting postponed in you know, January and February, you're all getting added now. And so you got teams playing, you know, five or six games in 10 or 12 days. And it's kind of NBA schedule. And, then, you know, every other every other day a team's playing. And so, you know, and I think the schedule was really backloaded and it became even more so after the postponements um, and the reschedules because you got, you know, you still got uh, – 
you know, Ohio State, Michigan, Illinois, Wisconsin, all still having to play against each other in some way or shape or form. And so we still got a lot of great games coming up in these last two weeks. And even though I think the title race is done, I think we're still just going to get a lot of high quality basketball. And, you know, it should be a lot of fun trying to figure out, you know, who's going to get those uh, other three double buys because Michigan, you know, is kind of out in front at this point. For sure. Looking forward to it. We'll uh, get back with you soon, H, and thanks as always for all the, the help this season. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. All right, thanks as always to Harold and Rayfell Davis for joining the show. Really fun stuff as always. Um, like I mentioned, we always have good stuff from Purdue guys. Harold is a excellent interview every time. He uh, volunteers his time to you know, share his insight. He can really, really get to the bones of what's happening, really distill down what we see on a Big Ten basketball and football field. You know, does it better than a lot of a lot of the experts and pros you see on TV. Give this man his own show. Um, get Harold on on air. I'm gonna I'm gonna start like an internal campaign here to get him on air. Uh, but for now, you know, he's on the podcast, and I'm glad to have him. So appreciate it, H, and uh, appreciate everyone for listening, obviously as well. Um, you know, it, it's been a weird season, weird schedule. Uh, made it nearly to the end now. Definitely intend on putting out a couple more episodes before college basketball wraps up. And honestly, might ramp up the episode frequency a little more once we get out of this season, um, out of this college basketball season. Just have a little more free time and, and people will be more available. And um, we have to get hit a certain amount uh, before the end of the year. So we, we intend on ramping up that production. And uh, appreciate people for following along when, when these episodes do come out. Uh, I have to shout out my edit team as well. Um, Julie Bronder, especially for stitching the show together. So thanks as always. Um, reminder, before we hop off, you can find the show on every platform where podcasts are normally consumed. Your Apple Podcasts, of course, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Big Ten Network YouTube channel. Since the... COVID era and the Zoom era, we've put all these interviews on YouTube, um, on video. So if you're listening right now and you're a more visual person, hop on over to YouTube, Big Ten Network's channel, subscribe to that, and then search the Take 10 Podcast playlist to find all these interviews on video. All right. With that, we'll wrap up another episode of the Take 10 Podcast. Thanks as always to everyone involved, and we'll talk to you very soon.